Father, we uh, are so grateful for the opportunity to come in and reflect upon the gift of the birth of Jesus and what it means for us. I pray that um, we really would be able to just still our hearts and trust that your presence is here, that you are with your people, that you will speak to us through all the different distractions, all the different things that we carry into this room. And for the next few moments, God, you would allow us to truly come searching for you in spirit and in truth, and that your spirit would guide us and lead us to a greater understanding of your love and who you have revealed yourself to be through Christ the King. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you. You all may be seated. <clears throat> I didn't realize when I was up here giving the announcements that the collar to my jacket was flipped up. So if y'all thought I was trying to make a fashion statement, I was not. Uh, we've got some great brothers and sisters in Christ who sit behind me who uh, helped me out there with that one. So appreciate the support. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve. If, if your family is anything like mine, then uh, today is a day that's likely filled with some level of tradition or keeping traditions. And, and, and I realize it's not even just Christmas Eve, but really the entire Christmas season where we have a lot of traditions that we maintain and, and we get a chance to, to experience them. I, I grew up in a family that was really big on tradition. My wife grew up on a family that was big in tradition. And so as we came together and started a family of our own, there were a lot of traditions that we sought to preserve and start a lot of new traditions that we wanted to create for ourselves. And, and all of that seems to be indicative of the Christmas season, right, is, is maintaining these traditions. Well, one tradition in particular that we have recently introduced to my family, but is one uh, that I grew up with, is, is uh, a, a tradition that my dad started many, many years ago. And I actually meant to bring an example this morning and forgot. Uh, so I'm, I'm disappointed about that. But uh, he had this tradition. He had these little wax candle Santas. And I actually shared this with the staff not too long ago. But he had these candles about this big, varying sizes, but averaged around that size. Some of them were really small. Some of them were a little bit bigger. And he probably had 25 to 30 of them. And every Christmas, he would hide them all throughout his house. And it was a tradition for myself and my sister uh, to go search throughout his house and find all the hidden Santas. And he was pretty methodical about it. I mean, we could talk to him and he'd be like, well, there's seven in the living room. And, oh, I think there's only six in the kitchen, you know. And he had it all down. And some of them were pretty easy to find. Some of them were much harder to find. But he always had, like, his favorite. He's like, oh, that was my favorite hiding spot this year. And we loved searching for the Santas. So when he passed a, a couple of years ago, that was one of the things that we, we were really looking forward to uh, kind of having as a keepsake. And so my sister, my stepmother, and I, we, we divided those Santas up, and then I ordered more. And about two years ago, uh, I started doing the same thing in my home for my kids. And, and we'll actually set the Santas out on my dad's birthday, which is December 18th. And it's a way that we kind of remember him and this tradition. And so uh, for the last couple of days, couple of weeks, uh, or I guess a week or so, uh, my kids have been searching through the house for all the Santas. They found them all pretty easily, pretty quickly. Uh, but it was one of my favorite things to do growing up was searching for those Santas. And, and that particular tradition reminded me of the fact that there are some things that we search for in life that the actual act of searching is very thrilling and very exhilarating and, and somewhat exciting. It can be really great when it's filled with some level of anticipation. Now, not all searches are like that, correct? Like if you've lost your keys and you're trying to frantically search for your keys while being late for a meeting, that is not an enjoyable search. But there are many other types of searches that you go into with a certain expectation 
and a certain um, assurance, and because of it, it can have a thrill associated with it. And searching for those Santas was so enjoyable because I knew they were there. Right, like it'd be a really cruel trick if my dad said he had hid, hidden Santas and there weren't any, and you just kind of go around and then you're frustrated at the end of it going, well, there wasn't anything here. Uh, but because we knew that they could be found, because my dad had told me they could be found, there was a certain assurance and confidence in the seeking that made the searching a thrill. I hope you can hear some of the correlation, right? We have a heavenly father who has told us you can search for certain things. And, and because he's told us that, we can have a certain assurance, a certain confidence that the things he has told us to search for can, in fact, be found, right? You, you can find these things and you can have a certain thrill and expectation in the searching because your father has told you they are there to be found. And so that's really been the sentiment of this whole Advent series. Right? That we're all on these roads to Bethlehem. We're all searching for something. We, we can search for hope. We can search for peace. We can search for joy and trust that those things can be found because our Father has told us they can be found. And so we finish out this series this morning by focusing in on this last theme of something that we would search for, and that is the search for love. Right? And specifically, love that is found by searching for a king. And we're going to find a, a greater opportunity for us to evaluate that particular search by looking at the story of the Magi here in a little bit. And it will be helpful for us to look at their story and use it as a reminder that when we come to this gospel, uh, what, what we are able to do is discover Jesus as King. And that's something that we're all looking for, whether we realize it or not, or whether we use that terminology or not. What I mean is, is that we're all looking for some form of an authority, something that we can assign lordship to, in our life, something bigger than ourselves that we can submit to. We're searching for a king. And the gospel says the king is here. You, you can continue to search for him and find him and discover that he's not just king of the Jews. He's not just king of kings and lord of lords. He's king of love. And what a beautiful message that is for us. And so grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2 as we take a look at the story of the Magi in verses 1 through 12. Now, I will tell you, don't get your hopes up, but it will be a shorter message today, okay? Uh, I, I'm aware it's Christmas Eve morning. I'm aware we're all going to be back here tonight. Um, so I'll do this a little bit more quickly than I normally do. Uh, but there are a lot of great things for us to uh, learn from and unpack in this message. So let's read together in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> it reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, we're just going to work through this story uh, a little bit at a time, line by line, verse by verse, some, some chunks bigger than others. Uh, but the first few verses we can break down in, in greater detail because it introduces us to all these different uh, important figures and variables and factors that are at play in the Magi's journey to finding and searching for a king on their road to Bethlehem. Uh, just there in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, this is a good reminder that this is happening after Jesus' birth. Told you all a couple of weeks ago, if you have a nativity set at home that has the wise men bowing down there at the manger, leaving their uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that nativity set is biblically inaccurate. It's okay, looks good at Christmas time, but it's biblically inaccurate because the Magi, they come after his birth. As we talked about in our discussion with Joseph and Mary a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is estimated to be probably between six to 20 weeks old at the time that the Magi come and find him. Uh, so this is after his birth, uh, but we get a chance to learn a little bit more about some important figures with which place this journey takes, uh, takes hold. Uh, at the time of King Herod, during the time of King Herod. Let's talk about Herod for a moment. Herod was born in 73 BC. He ended up uh, assuming his role as king of Judea in 40 BC. And there were some things about him that made him a very effective King. He, he was uh, wealthy, he was powerful, he was very uh, politically intelligent, uh, specifically in some of the things I came across. He had this ability to uh, navigate his relationships with the emperors very well. Um, and so he understood how to navigate those dynamics. He, he had a certain um, uh, aptitude for different projects. He was known for his ability to orchestrate famine relief efforts and a lot of building projects. Uh, even by his foes and adversaries, he was kind of known and held in high esteem uh, for the way that he built, inclu built, including the temple in 20 BC. And so he had some, some qualities that made him an effective king, but he had a lot of, he had a lot of other terrible qualities. Uh, he was uh, known to have put in, or influenced a very heavy tax on the people. Um, he was known to be very paranoid, especially later in life. He had this illness that made him parano paranoid about his status as king, and, and it led him to tremendous acts of cruelty, including the killing of his wife and two of his sons. All right, so, so that's kind of like Mad King Herod, all right? And so Herod comes into play, and what we're going to see throughout the course of the story is that he serves as a pretty significant contrast to the Magi who are introduced next. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The word Magi uh, was initially assigned to the priestly caste uh, of the Medes back, back during the Old Testament days. Uh, but as time progressed, closer to the New Testament time period, uh, Magi was a term that was used a little bit more broadly. And, and it wasn't just for a priestly class with the Medes. Now, the priestly class with the Medes, they were the ones that were also um, kind of viewed to have the ability to help interpret dreams. And so that sort of mysterious nature associated with the Magi continued throughout the years to where now, at the New Testament time period, a Magi was somebody that, yes, had an ability possibly to interpret or study dreams, but also um, uh, would study the stars, study astrology, study ancient books, and, and look at old prophecies to try to predict the future. And so that's who you have here with the Magi. We refer to them often as the wise men, but it's a very specific term that kind of conjures up that sort of picture. So they were from the east, which was likely either to be Persia 
maybe an Arabian desert, um, but most likely Babylon. And the reason a lot of scholars would advocate for Babylon is because Babylon had a pretty high uh, population of Jews. And as a result, there would have been access to Jewish writings, Jewish materials that would speak about the coming Messiah, that would speak about the coming King of the Jews. And there probably would have been some conversation about it in Babylon. And so the Magi most likely came from Babylon, surrounded by that sort of conversation. And that's what ultimately leads them on this search that ultimately takes them to Jerusalem. And so they come from the east, but notice it does take them first to Jerusalem. We're going to see here in just a moment that what led them to Jerusalem was the star. But I want to highlight to you that the star first led them to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. Right? And so their first exchange is with Herod, and that's going to create this important contrast that we're about to dive into. But also notice that God took them to specific places at specific moments for particular reasons, and that's part of their journey. And so they come first to Jerusalem, and here's the first thing that they say to King Herod. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, um, one of the things that I want to highlight about this is that it first and foremost shows us and accentuates the heart of their searching. They are searching for a king. That's, that's why they're there. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? They are searching for a king. Now that being said, uh, notice the title that they give or the description that they give to this child, the one who was born king of the Jews. They didn't imply one who was going to later be confirmed as king of the Jews, but one who by birth is now king of the Jews. That the kingly nature of Jesus didn't come later after he did certain miracles or after he achieved certain accomplishments, but it was conferred upon him at birth. This is who he is. And that phrase, king of the Jews, is a really remarkable one because it's the same phrase that we see Pilate assigned to Christ during the crucifixion. So king of the Jews is ascribed to Jesus both at his birth and his death. Right? That's what they're searching for. They're searching for this king. And then you see why exactly, as that verse continues, we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. This, to me, is critical for us to understand uh, their journey and how it applies to us. Yes, they were searching for a king, but they were really searching to worship. That's why they're there. They, they are not searching just because they're curious. They're, they're not on this adventure just because they like adventure for the sake of adventure or because they like exploring or they're curious about prophecies. They are there seeking someone to worship. Seeking a king to worship, are you? Like when you think about their journey, it presents a very meaningful question for us as we navigate the Christmas season. Like what are we on the road towards? What are we searching for? Is your journey through this Christmas season and really throughout your life, are you searching for this king who is worthy of worship? Right? We, we were created to worship. Like it's in our nature. We were designed to worship. We are inherently worshipful beings. And so what we have to do is do some level of introspection upon our heart, the things that we love, the things that we care about, the things that we give ourselves to, and recognize that those are the things that tend to be the object of our devotion. Right? The, the idea of worship means adoration. 
So when we come together at Christmas and we sing, Oh, come, let us adore him, that is so much more than just this idea of, Oh, let's look and gaze upon this adorable little baby. Right? It is, let us come with worship, devotion, and adoration for a king. Is that what you're searching for? Is that what you're seeking? Is what your heart was designed to do and what it longs for? And that's the nature of the search for the Magi. Now, their search is going to serve as a drastic contrast to Herod. So here they come. They ask this question to Herod. Let's see how Herod responds. He says, when the text says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, that shouldn't surprise us knowing what we know about Herod. Right? This paranoid king has these foreigners, these magi coming from the east, these Gentiles coming in and saying, hey, we're here to worship the king of the Jews. Where is he? Well, if you're paranoid about losing your throne, having this word and this, uh, this statement that there's another king that has been born is going to create a disturbance. Right? And, and, and now, before we just kind of dismiss it because Herod is paranoid, right? and because he is a terrible king and has awful tendencies, all of which are true, I think it also uh, is beneficial for us to take a moment and recognize that when we really deal seriously with the idea that Jesus is king, it, it can be somewhat disturbing even to our own hearts, right? Because what that means and what it meant for Herod, right, was a, a reality of potential surrender, right? It, it means a loss of power, a loss of control, a loss of comfort, a loss of influence, all these things that Herod knew could, could all of a sudden escape his grasp. And while we may have a very different experience and very different reactions than Herod, we also can be disturbed when we really confront the idea that Jesus is king. Because it forces us to recognize we have to surrender. And in that surrender, right, we, we lose a sense of control. We lose a sense of comfort. We lose a sense of power. And sometimes that can be... Um, off-putting, that can be unsettling. And so we would rather keep Jesus as something other than king. Let's keep him as teacher. Let's keep him as historical figure. Let's even keep him as savior so that I can escape hell and go to heaven. But king? The king's different. King means he's sovereign. King means I give everything to him. King means surrender. And when we really confront that idea, it can be somewhat disturbing. Now, it wasn't just Herod that was disturbed, but it says all the people in Jerusalem were disturbed with him. Now, what that likely means is not necessarily that the people of Jerusalem were disturbed at the idea that there is a king of the Jews that was born, as much as they were probably disturbed by the concern of Herod's reaction, right? They, they knew him to be paranoid, and this was a justifiable concern, as we see later in this chapter, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Herod's ultimate response is then to go and have all the young children under the age of two in Bethlehem that are boys slaughtered. So the people were right to be disturbed by this news. They knew what it could mean, right? And so the initial reaction here is one that is centered around Herod and, and how drastically different it is and what's going on in his heart versus the heart of the Magi. Let's see how it continues. We'll, we'll take this next section in a bigger chunk. When he called together all the people, uh, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, 
Israel. Right, so, so now Herod invites these teachers of the law, and he asks this question. So he's disturbed, okay, where is this child going to be born? They say it's in Bethlehem, they quote Micah, they quote a prophet, they, they reference a prophecy. And, and what this does in many respects is accentuate the contrast between Herod and the teachers of the law and the Magi. Right, because on one hand, you have Herod and the teachers of the law who are in Jerusalem, who are Jews, who are familiar with these prophecies, who understand these scriptures that teach on them, and they've completely missed it. They haven't even been searching for it. Compared to the Magi, right, these Gentiles, these foreigners who didn't have the same sort of access to the text, that didn't have the same sort of familiarity, and they are searching for it. And the big difference is that one group was looking to worship, and one group wasn't. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, this contrast can serve as a nice opportunity for us to do so, our own level of introspection. Which group, which mindset do we most identify with at this season in our lives? Like, are, are we truly searching for the lordship and kingly nature of Jesus, ready to worship him no matter the cost, no matter the situation? Or are we not searching really at all? Even though we might even be around it, growing up in the church, familiar with the stories, even being able to quote the scriptures, are we just completely clueless to it because we're not even really looking for a king? We're not even looking to worship. Where are you at this season of life? So this contrast um, is really stark, and it finally kind of gets its, its ultimate accentuation with Herod's final comment here to the Magi that you see in verse 7. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And we know that to be a lie. We know that that wasn't anywhere near his intent as his actions betray him later. Um, and so with that comment from Herod to the Magi, we get something that's very similar uh, that Jesus would call out in the teachers of the law later in the Gospels, right? Your, your lips uh, worship me, but your hearts are far from me. You praise me with your mouth, but your heart is nowhere near me. You see that with Herod. And you're saying one thing, but your heart betrays you. you. You have no intention to worship. This is a false humility. And yet, what we can really unearth, given Herod's paranoia and his subsequent actions, is that what he's saying in that moment to the Magi. It's like, hey, I want, I want to find this king. I want to know where he is. I want to worship him. But, but Herod's real intent is one of self-preservation, not surrender. That's the only reason he wants to know where Jesus is. That's the only reason he would want to go to Bethlehem. It's the only reason he wants to find this apparent king, is one of self-preservation. And I think that further solidifies the contrast we're talking about, the different roads that we can travel and a different heart with which we can travel them, right? That sometimes our journey can be motivated by this sincere and authentic desire for a king, a desire for worship, a desire for surrender. But a lot of times we seek Jesus for self-preservation, right? We, we want him to satisfy certain things that we need, that we want, that we expect. And it's really still more about our story than it is about him as king. And so the contrast is, is really hard to escape. And it should force that sort of reflection in us 
this morning, but I think there are also some valuable lessons to see how the story resolves. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I love this. Okay, so the star leads them to Jerusalem. They're like, hey, where, where is this king? Right? They, they, they've been following the star. And then all of a sudden they have this exchange with Herod. They understand that it's Bethlehem and, and, and they start, uh, Herod sends them to Bethlehem. But then when they start that journey to Bethlehem, the star reappears. And what I want to point out to that, uh, from that is that regardless of what sort of journey you're on, regardless of what your road is like to Bethlehem, there are so many moments in our lives where we are being led by something that defies explanation. Right? There, there's a miraculous leading that takes place if we're looking for it and if we're ready for it. Right? What is, what is leading the Magi on their journey is the hand of God, the mystery of God, the whisper of God, the, the brilliance of God, the revelation of God, this, this miraculous star in the sky, and they're looking for it, and they're ready for it, and they follow it. And so are you living life with that same sort of awareness, that same sort of expectation, that same sort of ability to be in tune with God and how he reveals himself, that it doesn't always have to line up with logic and, and understanding and reason, that sometimes the miraculous prompting of the Father through the Holy Spirit is going to lead us exactly to the place that we need to be. Maybe first it's Jerusalem, then it's Bethlehem, then it's home, but it is his hand that guides us. So we can learn from the Magi to look for the miraculous and follow the leading of the spirits. So they come to the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now, we talked about joy last week, uh, so I don't want to elaborate on this with, with a tremendous amount of time. But even this verse kind of leapt off the page at me when I was studying it. Uh, because if, if I were just to like read it almost word for word uh, from the original language, it, it's Cairo, Kara, Megas, Sabaru. And, and that most literal translation is they were greatly, significantly rejoicing with joy. <laughs> right? So like if they were first graders writing this, it would be like they were really, 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 really joyful. Like the emphasis is just inescapable on the amount of joy that exists for the Magi when they see this star and they're on this journey. And so I want to connect joy and worship because we talked extensively last week that joy is a mindset, right? That it's something that it, it can be cultivated regardless of your circumstances, right? That happiness is attached to emotions and feelings in response to a particular object or thing or moment. But joy is a mindset regardless of your circumstances. And so what you have here is the Magi that are recognizing that in the search of joy and seeing the hand of God, or in the search of a king and seeing the hand of God, their desire for worship is leading them to joy. It's not just that they're happy that the star appeared. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. This is a whole mindset that is tethered to worship. They're on the precipice of meeting and seeing this king, the object of their devotion, the object of their adoration. So when you and I go through life and we go on our journeys, regardless of what circumstances may befall us, there will be numerous moments where happiness will feel elusive. But joy can always be present. 
And the reason it can be present is because we have a king worthy of worship. Right? And he is the source of our joy. He is the object of our worship. So here they are. They're finally at the house, overwhelmed with joy. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When we find Jesus is king, we offer him our treasures. Right here, it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh that has tremendous value, significance, imagery. But I just love the idea of fixating on that word treasure. They found this Jesus and they offered him their treasures. And I think that's a good encouragement for each of us this morning as we head into Christmas Eve and Christmas morning tomorrow. What are you offering your king? I'm making it more than just the presents that we're exchanging with loved ones and family members and the traditions that we're keeping. But to take time and evaluate and say, what, what am I offering my king? What, what treasures am I presenting to him? Have you offered your family? Have you offered your job, your career? Have you offered your future? Have you offered your worries, your concerns? Have you offered your very self the things that you hold most dear are to be offered to your king? He is worthy of our treasures. So the story ends by the fact that they are warned in a dream and told not to go back to Herod, so they return to their country by another route which is another good reminder of the way that God's hand through the star, through dreams, through the miraculous, had prompted them and led them to the very places that they needed to be, and then ultimately he led them safely home. And I think there's a word of comfort for us in that same narrative. He'll take us on the journey that we need to be on, at the moments that we need to be, at the places we need to be, but ultimately will lead us safely home. And so the story of the Magi is the really... I think moving and appropriate one for us this morning, this Christmas season, that gives us a chance to really reflect, what are we searching for? Have I really come through this Christmas season and have I approached my life searching for a king worthy of worship? Or am I seeking him out of self-preservation? Am I seeking him with a heart that's still disturbed, worried about what it might cost, what I might have to surrender? How am I really approaching Jesus and my own journey on my own road? And, and here's what I would encourage you, but here's, here's how I want to close. Is that what we see in this story that I would accentuate as kind of the final point of emphasis that we talked about earlier. Is that this Jesus, according to the Magi, is, is described as king of the Jews. And to see that designation at his birth and then again at his death reminds us not just of the roads that others have taken to Bethlehem, right? It doesn't just remind us of the roads of Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Mary and Joseph, or the shepherds or the Magi. That just that phrase in and of itself should remind us of the road that Jesus himself traveled. That that phrase, King of the Jews, takes us from manger to cross. And when we consider that road that is traveled by Jesus from manger to cross, it is the greatest expression of love the world 
has ever known. And it reveals to us exactly what sort of king he is. That he's the one that tells us, now, love one another as I have loved you. That because of the way he navigated his road, it leads us to the place where even the Apostle Paul will encourage the church, even for us today, to be reminded that nothing separates us from his love. So consider this Jesus church. And regardless of what your road looks like, your journey to Bethlehem, this moment where heaven meets earth, where Jesus is introduced to us, however you are traveling there, whatever may befall you on that particular path, know that what you're searching for can be found. You can find hope. You can find peace. We can find joy. We can find love. And we can find those things because we have a king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we are so grateful that as we come before you this morning, we know that you are so much more than just king of the Jews. You are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. And so I pray that you would guide our path, you would guide our steps, you would lead us according to your good, pleasing, and perfect will to the exact places that you need us and where you want us. God, lead us according to your plan for us, but may our hearts be moved and stirred and may our steps be prompted by our desire to worship you. May we see you as the king that you are and offer ourselves completely. May we offer our treasures to you. And in so doing, God, fill our lives with hope and peace and joy and love is only you can. We do love you, Father. We thank you for this Jesus. We thank you for leading us down the road to Bethlehem, for it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen and amen.